0: Welcome to Scanner School. This is session number 143 of the podcast. Today, we've got a very special guest on. I am so excited to have him here. We'll talk to that in just one second. But before we do, I want to remind you that the session notes from today's podcast, and we have a lot of notes we found online, scannerschool.com slash session 143. Before we start this week's podcast, I'd like to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Patreon is a month-to-month sponsorship platform. We have three different support tiers, each with different benefits. But the most valuable tier is our $5 a month tier. This equates to sponsoring the podcast for about a dollar per episode. Now, not only do our $5 Patreon supporters receive the podcast early, but they also receive a commercial free version of the podcast delivered directly to their podcast player. Some may say that the included squelchy sticker pack that is mailed to your home is the best benefit of the $5 level, but I think it's the community or the club that is growing at this level. You see, we meet once a month on Zoom and we have a round table discussion about scanning, ask questions, offer advice. Some of the members are answering other people's questions and we just talk with our fellow scanner school classmates. This is an exclusive group for our five dollar patreon members now again if all this wasn't enough at that level you'll also receive discounts to upcoming scanner school courses and offerings now you can help support scanner school by going to www.scannerschool.com slash patreon or www.scannerschool.com support now i'd like to thank all of our patreon supporters at all levels and they are chris Paris, craig harper dan Ed Walsh, Eddie Kaye, Edward Dufour, Glenn Bryden, Guy Lee, James Felling, Jeff Block, Jenny Taylor, John Goldenberg, Ken Newberry, Kenneth Fowler, Kevin Zwicky, Mark Thompson, Mark Beebe, Michael Kroger, Paul Teal, Raymond Hill, Richard Armstrong, Ronnie Bach, Sal Marandola, Signals Everywhere, Tim Mazza, and William Arcand. Now let's start the podcast.
1: Welcome to The Scanner School, a podcast dedicated
0: to the scanner radio hobby class is about to begin here is your host phil lichtenberger welcome to scanner school my name is phil lichtenberger and my amateur radio call sign is w2lie now again you know the spiel if this is your first week here thank you so much for joining the podcast this podcast this week is a great way to get started in the podcast and again if you're a returning listener Welcome back. We've got a great show for you. If you you can't tell, I am really excited. And I'm I'm super stoked today because we've got Chris Paris on the podcast today. I have been a huge, huge fan of Chris's work. Chris is known in the scanner radio hobbyist, or the scanner radio circle, as being the go-to guy when it comes to federal monitoring and federal scanning. Chris is... His, his regular 9-to-5 job puts him in a very unique situation where he can travel across the country and even sometimes over to the northern border and into Canada. And he uses these opportunities to scan and monitor federal signals that are in the areas. And Chris will spend time and he'll write about them, he'll blog about them. He updates his Twitter account pretty much all the time. Like I said, I have been a fan of Chris's going back into the Monitoring Times magazine days, if you remember those days, and he continues to write in the new magazine called The Spectrum Monitor. It's been out for about six or seven years now, and again, I have spent countless hours just going through Chris's website. It's it's full of great information. So if you can't tell, I am super excited to have chris on the podcast to me this is an extreme fanboy moment so um with that let me just go right into the interview it's a great one again you can catch all of chris's websites his 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 links and everything else will be in the session notes session 143 scanschool.com session 143 this is going to be a very long podcast it's going to be a very informative podcast you are going to get your money's worth out of this one this is full of information and we could have kept on going but we eventually just had to say we've spent a lot of time here, so I think it's worth it. So, guys, let me introduce to you the one and the only Mr. Federal Scanning, Chris Paris. Chris, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It is uh, a, an honor and a little bit of a fanboy moment for me right here on this side of the microphone. So, thank you for, uh, for being here today.
1: Uh, you're very welcome. Glad to be here.
0: So really quick, and we'll get into a more detailed explanation about what it is that you do with scanning, but uh, really quick, what are you known for in the scanner radio hobby?
1: I guess after about almost 15 years of writing about federal monitoring, I guess that's what I'm known for best. I do a lot of federal and uh, military air type monitoring, and I've been writing about that stuff in monitoring times for about nine years. And then, uh, or 10 years, and then about six years now for, in the Spectre Monitor magazine.
0: Excellent. So now, you know, I mean, we also listening to why there's a bit of a, uh, a fanboy moment on my end. I've been a big fan of Chris's, Chris's writings, his website, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. And, and, uh. Been been a long time follower on Twitter, and uh, to get you on the podcast is kind of like um, it's uh, a, a really surreal moment for me right now because I really I look up to what you do in that kind of uh, fashion. So thank you very much for what you contribute into the scanner radio hobby and and all the information you put out there. I've been and we'll talk about your website in a little bit, but I have spent hours and hours crawling through your website and using the information you have. To put into my own radio and to make my own spreadsheets and everything else so what you do is is amazing we'll talk about in a few minutes how you do it but before we get there how did you even get started with just in general the scanner radio hobby i mean what led you down this uh this path
1: oh well let's see i have to blame my parents i guess for that uh back in the first couple years of high school my dad was learning how to fly he got his private pilot's license and after he soloed he was able to take us on take us for rides in the plane and I was fascinated by the radio communications with the pilot and the air traffic control tower when I flew with him. And so I got really obsessed with that. And for my birthday that year, my folks bought me a Sears multiband portable radio that had an airband in it. And uh, so I obsessed with putting up an antenna outside, and running a wire into my room and being able to listen to airplanes for whenever my dad went flying. And uh, I think it was one weekend night I realized there was nothing going on in the aircraft band. I said, I wonder what this other band here is called Public Safety. And I quickly discovered my local police department, uh, fire department, highway patrol. Just all of a sudden, this whole world opened up of what I could listen to and what I could hear. And it was around that time that the local police department was moving from a single VHF channel to a, like a three or four channel UHF repeater system. So it wasn't trunk, but just conventional. And so I immediately saved up my pennies and bought a four-channel Radio Shack Patrolman scanner, pocket scanner, and had all my local police in there. And uh, about that time, I also met a news photographer in the town where I lived who had a neat setup in a Jeep that he drove for work. It had three or four of the Regency um, ACR-10s, I think, the ones with the red lights and the blue faceplate mounted in between the front seats of his Jeep. And that just I was just hooked after that. And he got me interested in the local frequencies and uh, what was going on. And, And I just from then on, every all the money I earned or got birthday presents or whatever went towards buying crystals or buying new scanners.
0: It's a, it's a dangerous, dangerous hobby. So it is. that's excellent. You've, you've, you've got the same kind of, I mean, it's, it's amazing that when you talk to all these people about how they get started in the scanner radio hobby, how many people, including myself, blame my parents, you know, for leading us down this yeah. this path. Cause I, I got started. I mean, my dad wasn't a flying, but he worked in a two way shop and we always had a scanner radio on in the house. So oh, yeah. it was, you know, many people grow up with uh TVs and and FM broadcast radio we always had in addition to that that the the scanner and the and the dancing red lights and even my grandparents house watching that uh that bearcat 101 with the with the LEDs dancing across the screen mm-hmm. and everything else so yeah it it seems like for a lot of us, it grabs us at an early age, and it definitely holds on for a long time. So
1: it does, it's, it does. It's,
0: it's, it's, it's interesting. So what about, though, getting started now in with the federal monitoring? What what made you transition from AM, public safety, now all of a sudden to getting into this secret world of uh, federal monitoring? What got you down that path?
1: There were a couple things that happened kind of in a short period of time. One is I got to visit a tower site in the same town where I was growing up. I was uh, out of high school at the time working, and I got to visit a tower site. It was a TV tower, but they sold, uh, rented space on the tower for land mobile antennas and repeaters. And I uh, was looking around that was being shown around in the building, and there in a the corner was a nice heavy gray cabinet with a big padlock on it, and I was told, that's the FBI's repeater. And I had no idea. I mean, I was just learning about the frequency bands, and I knew VHF and UHF, but I didn't really know where things were in these bands. And so I kind of became obsessed with trying to figure out what frequency the FBI was on because I, I hadn't really thought about them as, as being a potential target for scanner listening until I realized they had a radio repeater right near me. So um, I spent a lot of time doing investigative work. And now, of course, this is pre-internet days. This is in the late 70s. But I did find, I think there were some mail order guides you could get. The Tom Nytel's book had just come out. What was it? There was a company, CRB Research, that sold the sheets. With all the frequencies typed on them they had some federal sheets out there for various areas i used to buy those so i but i never really found exactly the frequency i was looking for but i kind of knew where where they might be and where what part of the band they might be in but about that time i got a job working for a television station down in the rio grande valley of texas which is down the very southern tip right along the border in harlingen brownsville and moving from the small town in iowa where i grew up down to the border area The amount of federal activity and federal agencies that you saw in action every day just increased a hundredfold because down in the south of Texas, you had the Border Patrol, you had U.S. Customs, you had DEA, you had FBI, just all very busy all the time. And so once I moved down there, again, I really had to do some research to find out where to even start listening for that kind of stuff. I did something that I normally did anywhere I went to when I traveled to a new city is I started hitting up all the local radio shacks. And any Radio Shack whose manager was worth his salt usually kept a little box of crystals behind the, the counter of the local active frequencies, and they always had a typewritten sheet of the local active frequencies. Well, it turned out that most of the Radio Shacks down along the Rio Grande in South Texas had all the Border Patrol frequencies and had crystals for them. So I immediately nice. bought all the border, control fr- border Patrol crystals I could find and all that kind of stuff, and just it just kind of... It boiled up from there. And just the more I listened, the more I discovered. And it was about that time I had a Bearcat 210 and was able to actually mm-hmm. search and things like that. And, uh, that became the biggest help that I guess was using a search, being able to search for frequency before I was limited by crystals and you had to know the frequency before you actually, right, right. to it. but having a scanner that actually searched was unbelievably helpful. And I think another thing that kind of helped at the time was, um, The police call books normally didn't carry any federal information, but they started putting an appendix in the book that had a listing of federal frequencies, and they had them listed by agency, sort of. They had like UAG for agriculture and UTC, I think, for, for treasury or something, UTX for treasury, but they had a whole bunch of frequencies that marked UXX, and it said classified. Well, of course, those are the frequencies I'm going to put in the radio is the classified <laughs> one. So I did that right. and found all kinds of stuff. So it just became kind of a, a a new obsession because I already knew the local stuff. I already knew the police and fire and sheriff and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But finding this stuff that wasn't in the book, that wasn't known by a lot of people was kind of an obsession for me.
0: That's the part of the hobby right there that 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 excites me, right? Because I feel like that's the part of the hobby that's that. I don't want to say it is dying, but that's the kind of part of the hobby that as part of scanner school, I want to reinforce, like hit that search button on your scanner because you don't know what's out there. And that's exactly what you did to find what it was you wanted to monitor. What is, uh, is, 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 is that uh, search range? So sorry, I, I had to put that in there because no, no, I want to, to make sure we outline that important part, but yeah, go back to uh, what you were saying. Cause it's, well, it's, it's the it's curiosity <laughs> for me. Yeah. It's,
1: it's the, it's the curiosity of wanting to find out more. We're wanting to find out, the, and the feeling that you're living—you're missing something. There's something mm-hmm. going on that you're not hearing. So I got to go look for it. And also, it's the—it's kind of the weird satisfaction of knowing something that most other people don't know. I know that there's an FBI surveillance going on down the road because I'm listening to it. Most people around me—ninety-nine point nine percent of the people around me—probably have no idea that that's happening right now. And you may hear about it on the news in two or three days after they make an arrest or something. That's the kind of stuff that really interested me and got me excited about the hobby and motivated me to do more searching and do and find this stuff so that's and i agree with you that's that's an important part of this hobby that a lot of people for some reason don't have and i've been trying to express that a lot in my writing is that you need to search you need to look and dig and be patient because so many people want to just i get emails occasionally from readers who say i want a confirmed good list of federal frequencies for my area and none of them should be encrypted well i tell them i don't have that. You're going to have to find it yourself. You know, that's, <laughs> that's going to be up to what's going on around you. It's not something right. I can just give you. So too many people, I think in the hobby, and I, mean, I understand some people buy a scanner to listen to their local police and fire, but there are a lot of people in the hobby who just want to listen to a preset list of frequencies. And that's, that's all they care about. And I, they right. miss out a lot doing that.
0: Right. And again, too, it's there's nothing wrong with that either. Because I mean, oh, if you no. look at it this way, a lot of people, they drive their cars, but not everybody wants to be drive on a drag strip or 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 race in NASCAR. You know, so there's different levels of the scanner radio hobby like there's with anything else. So and you're right though, for the person that wants to I had a neighbor that when I was growing up, that's exactly what they wanted. They want to listen to just their police department. And just a fire department, just to know what was going on in the neighborhood, and to them, that's all that ever mattered. And for many people too, just knowing where their family member is going to be when there is a, a dispatch, that's all they really care about. But there is this little secret world of of the scanner radio hobby when you press that search the search banks. A lot of it today, I mean, we both know, is going to be some sort of. And we'll talk about this in a few minutes. So with some sort of digital technology, either it's going to be um, a control channel or telemetry or something that's encrypted that we just can't monitor. But a lot of it we can. And again, like you're saying, you have to weed through some of the, the nonsense frequencies and start creating a list. And we'll talk about more about how you exactly do this in a few minutes because I know looking at your Twitter feed and the pictures and everything else, you've got quite the setup. And, um, it's, I'm jealous of it, but it's <laughs> amazing what you do. So let's, let's backtrack a little bit. So you've talked about the DEA, the, the border patrol FBI. And again, before we even go there too, I want to just, cause I didn't want to interrupt you too many times, but I've been in the exact same boat as you when you're at a, at a transmitter site and you you see that magic box with the, with the heavy duty. Chain link around it with the padlock. Mm-hmm. My uh, first job, I was a field tech for PageNet, which at the time was the, la- the nation's largest paging provider. Mm-hmm. And we would end up in many radio rooms where there would be our bank of equipment and there'd be somebody else's bank of equipment. And in a very dark corner full of spider webs and dust and everything else was a tall gray Motorola cabinet with a heavy duty rusty chain link around it with a, uh, a standard master lock on it. Mm
1: -hmm. And,
0: uh, you know, with a little, with a little stamp that, you know, said federal government or FBI or or something like that to let you know, like this was, this was important piece of equipment here. Yeah. And, it's interesting to think how many are out there that are like that and many towers that we drive by and you have no idea who's actually there. And even going through any type of database, you're never gonna find out where they are unless you physically get behind that door and and, and see what's plugged into that uh, that hard line. Oh, very but true. They're out there. You know, it's, it's Yes they are. And and it's just as you say, great cabinet, chain around it, locked up. <laughs> no sometimes nobody's they messing with a phone that number
1: on it sometimes i'll have a phone number yes. saying in case of emergency call but right, occasionally right. i've been able to crawl around some of the uh, some of the tower sites here and uh especially if it's pretty busy and got a lot of stuff in it somebody will scrawl some frequencies in sharpie on with a cabinet sometimes you know you luck <laughs> out mostly i found stuff for like the uh, army corps of engineers or uh civil air patrol some of their frequencies are scrawled on the cabinet but uh, a lot of the federal oh. stuff no they 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 keep that pretty clean they don't they don't let people yeah. write things on their cabinet
0: exactly exactly so let's let's now back up to where i was gonna ask you originally so you talked about fbi homeland security type of stuff border protection border patrol what kind of monitoring and before you get to the modulation schemes here but what kind of agencies are we talking about? What kind of things can we expect to hear once we start monitoring the federal band?
1: Well, on any in any given area of the country, when you sit down and start looking through the federal ban, you're likely to hear something there. It may not be the FBI, it may not be Border Patrol, it may not be Homeland Security, but you're here, liable to hear something there because there's virtually no part of the country that doesn't have some federal agency or office or facility or something in it nearby from anything from the Postal Service to the Department of Agriculture, Forest Service, National Parks, there's something there somewhere that will have some federal frequencies allocated for their use. And again, this gets into where the patience comes in is sometimes they don't talk that much. Federal agencies are often not like your local police and fire. They're not answering calls 24 hours a day or dispatching calls 24 hours a day there are some agencies that do, but most of the time it's just went as needed and, uh, it can go for quite a while without really hearing much, but in the federal bands, you're going to hear something almost anywhere in the country, but it could be, uh, and it depends on where you're at. If you're near a body of water near a coast, you're going to hear more coastal, uh, you know, coast guard activity, things like that. If you're up in the mountains somewhere, you're more likely to hear, uh, Parks or national parks or, or you know, near a national forest, you're likely to hear that, or even the uh, Department of Interior, the U.S. Geological Survey. I hear them here quite often because they study all the volcanoes around the Pacific Northwest. So they're they get chatty some days on really nice days when the weather's good. They'll be out working on all their uh, sensor equipment, the data gathering equipment. So it, it it's it's a real cornucopia of what you might hear, but there's usually something around you. Some areas are more busy than others. Some are admittedly kind of dead, but there's usually something there. If you wait long enough, you'll find it.
0: Exactly. I remember uh you know, Mike started listening to you know, just the agencies that are around here for the first time. I mean, obviously here on Long Island, the Coast Guard is big, and 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 I've been listening to them for years, and it's it's interesting that different things you hear on on Coast Guard frequencies, but even listening to you know like Border Protection or or Homeland Security, those kinds of things, you hear them pop up with, you know, just could be routine chat, or it could be a transport, or it could be a drill and uh it could even be if uh somebody importance in town that they had to protect you could get some sort of uh you know white House or secret service in as well although oh, the the president was i'd say about a ten minute ride from my house to do a quick speech and then he was in and he was out and uh, i set my radios up to monitor and i didn't hear a peep out of him so <laughs> that was a little bit of a disappointment and then you listen to other people and they're like oh yeah i put the you know i put the secret service in my 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 uh, scanners and i heard them chatting up a mile you know i'm like well eh, lucky you <laughs> so, so it all it all really i guess depends too on on what's going on and where they are and everything else so we're talking you know primarily here in the united states remember this is a it's a the podcast is is global and we do have plenty of listeners down in australia and new zealand and Mm -hmm. canada and whatnot so this question is i mean i'm sure what we've been talking about so far has been pretty generic as far as what type of activity you could hear if if they're monitorable because again you don't know geographically what technologies like over in the uk right it's mostly tetra and everything else and sure here we we like to use p25 in the states but in the states specifically because i'm sure that's that's your expertise here is what are the frequency ranges where you can expect to find any type of federal frequencies?
1: The two primary ranges you should be looking for are between 162.0 and 174.0 megahertz, and one, uh, 406.0 to 420 megahertz. Those are where you're going to find a majority of the federal agency communications. Now, there are some other sub-bands, some smaller bands, that you will occasionally find federal or military operations in the 138 to 144 megahertz band, The 148 to 150.750, I think, is the upper end. And we have logged and found some federal activity in the 400 to 406 top end of the federal band. That end of the band is primarily allocated for space, uh, Earth to space communications, satellites. But it is available on a secondary basis to, I think, the Department of Defense. And we have, in fact, found some land mobile use of that band occasionally both intentionally and accidentally. So I can tell you more about that later if you want. But yeah, the primary bands you should search if you're looking for your local or federal ac- area, federal activity in your area is 162 to 174 megahertz and 406 to 420. And the, both of those channels are pretty much always in the 12.5 kilohertz steps.
0: Okay, excellent. Now to follow up with that one, and we've been kind of, Teasing this one a little bit. So, are they mostly from your from your findings? Are they mostly analog, mostly some sort of digital, or mostly encrypted? I mean, what would you say is primarily what the uh, their operations are?
1: Again, depending on what area you're in, most federal communications are probably going to be P25 digital encryption. Is depends on the agency, and it depends somewhat on the geographic area. I've been in areas where everything was totally encrypted all the time. They maintained really good operational security and didn't turn off the encryption at all on most of the frequencies. Other areas like in New York city, I've been, there's tons of unencrypted P25 goes on FBI, even the secret service, even CBP, you know, Border patrol customs, they, they pop up and they clear all the time. So it just depends on the discipline of the local office and the local agents and how they, they, uh, how they maintain, how they use their radios. But There are still quite a few federal agencies that are analog. Up in my neck of the woods here, the Forest Service is still analog. Bureau of Land Management is still analog. Smaller agencies, uh, such as the Department of Agriculture, I've been looking into uh, the uh, Animal Plant Health Inspection Service lately, trying to find them. They're most likely still analog. U.S. Fish and Wildlife, I think, is still pretty much analog. So there are a lot of oh, uh, the National Cemetery here is analog as well. So you're you're still liable to find a lot of analog traffic, but I would say it's probably only maybe 30%. The rest of it's probably going to be some form of digital. Most of us P25. There are some agencies who are buying DMR and NXDN radios. Most agencies, especially law enforcement, need to maintain what they like, the, the word they like to use, interoperability. That is, they want to be able to talk to each other. So uh, APCO P25 has become the de facto standard for federal digital radios. But there are other agencies who don't have to be interoperable. The US Postal Service, the guys who are sorting the mail, they don't have to talk to the DEA or the FBI. So they can buy DMR radios. Or they can buy NXT. I was, just,
0: I was actually just gonna touch on that when you were done speaking about it, but uh, <laughs> I've I've actually noticed that myself. Like I I was listening late one night and was you know I go through these periods where I can't sleep, so I'll set up you know the receiver down here and 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 just tune around and see what I can find out. And and one day I was just playing around through the federal band and a lot of activity in the four hundred nine. I'm like, eh, what's going on here? What what were they talking about? And I jump on Radio Reference. I look at the frequency because. Um, it was a well-known one here in, in, mm-hmm. in the area. It was postal inspectors, right? right. And I'm like, no, this can't be because they're sorting mail, and it's DMR. <laughs> so... <laughs> but that just proves what you're saying right there it's postal it's dmr they don't need to interrupt interrupt but listening to what they're doing you know they were coordinating i guess it was one of the local mail depots at 3 a.m yeah. and uh, loading up trucks and getting things sorted out so they can get everything out out of their uh, hair for the morning before the rush hour started so so you're right though you may find stuff like that that's uh, a little bit out of the norm
1: yeah absolutely i was going to mention too that some agencies, some off federal offices will often uh, buy, if they have a budget and they need to buy radios, they'll buy whatever the sales guy will sell them. They don't really care about P25 or encryption. So they'll buy an XDN radios or they might buy the FRS radios. I've run into uh, the Coast Guard using FRS radios at the Coast Guard base in Astoria, Oregon, when they were just for radios on the ship, on the boats. They were just doing routine work, uh, routining. Routine uh, loading of stuff, all that stuff. But I could listen to them on uh, one of the FRS channels. And that just happened to be what they was handy and easy for them to get, I guess. So they didn't worry about coordinating it with any higher authority. They just went and bought some radios.
0: <laughs> well, I guess when, when uh, the budget's tight, the budget's tight.
1: Exactly, <laughs> so, exactly.
0: <laughs> so let's talk about what are you doing. Again, this is the $64,000 question because I'm sure this is what it costs you. What type <laughs> of equipment are you using?
1: Okay, it's taken me a a number of years to kind of refine my searching technique, but I've kind of come down to a combination of things. And I I consider myself lucky because I am able to afford multiple scanners to to pursue the hobby with. I know a lot of not everybody can buy two or three or four high end digital radios, but it's taken me over a period of years. I haven't bought them all at once, obviously, but I tend to use the GRE slash Whistler radios as my searching radios. I usually set up search banks and uh, that's where I'm looking for stuff. I tend to use the unit in radios more for scanning. In other words, I build scan lists of stuff that I know I want to listen to. I build scan lists of known agency frequencies, known channel lists from various agencies, and I scan those in the unit in radios. But I like to search using the Whistler radios, particularly the TRX1, TRX2s. They, are nice because i can set up a search range i can start them and i can leave them in my hotel room and they'll run unattended and they'll record everything i can come back and listen to the recordings i can get radio ids i can get knacks i can get listen to what they've said all at my own convenience and i don't have to be sitting there watching the radio when it happens the Unidens can do that as well but Unidens, in their philosophy have decided that most people don't want to hear encrypted communications so, in searching and in searching trunk systems and so forth, it'll skip over encrypted traffic. It won't, it won't let you listen to it. So, unless you're sitting there staring at the radio when it comes across something encrypted, you won't even know that it's happened. So, the two radios have different uses. They're different tools in my toolbox, so to speak. But they both, I think, end up being important to being able to collect and find new frequencies.
0: And so let's let's back up a little bit here because we left out a big thing here. So you do a lot of monitoring as you travel. You don't have to go into what you do for a living, but most of your most of your investigation, I guess, when it comes to the federal band, is is a byproduct of your day job, right? You it, this is all like hotel monitoring and from city. It to is city.
1: to a certain extent, mm-hmm. but I do the same thing here at home when I'm at home. Okay. Well, I, there's, there's, I mean, the federal bans here are more of a known at, you know a known quantity, but at the same time, there's always unexpected stuff that pops up. In fact, I've got a new one that just popped up in the last couple of days, which we think is related to the so-called social unrest that's going on. Another federal frequency's popped up that's been busy each evening with all encrypted traffic. So I'm keeping an ear on that, and I'm always looking for new stuff as it pops up. So yeah, I mean, I do it in both places, but I guess uh, that, that kind of led... Drew me out more as far as the federal searching because of the fact that I travel to different areas all the time and I'm always in a new city and uh, it's always interesting and exciting to kind of look for new stuff in new areas. And depending on what area I'm in, like I spent some time, uh, quite a bit of time in Las Vegas earlier this summer and there's all kinds of stuff going on in Las Vegas, not just the usual Federal agencies up, but there's big military activity just north of Las Vegas. So there's the the bands are just busy all the time, full of stuff. So that provides all kinds of uh, opportunities for stuff. I was just in um, Florida last week, and um, again, Florida has quite a bit of federal activity, but it just depends on where you're at, what you're going to hear. A lot of military stuff like that. So yeah, the travel has really um, kind of uh, given me more opportunities to find new stuff as I travel around. And that that's also part of my goal is to try to collect as much information, you know, and and try to store it, and archive it, or, or keep it available for people to look up. So in case they hear something, they can come look and see what I heard or see what somebody else might have heard on that particular frequency and helps identify. Because of the fact of encryption, sometimes you can't tell what agency it is just off the, the basic uh, frequency. So you need more information to try to figure that out. So that's what I've been trying to do with my travel and searches is maintain logs and stuff like that. I'm kind of poor at it sometimes. <laughs> I I have so many scraps of paper around that I haven't put in one place yet, but uh that's an ongoing problem. But uh yeah, it's it's uh, the travel has has really uh it's helped to uh, find more interesting stuff, find more uh confirm more frequencies and so forth.
0: Excellent. So your your typical radios that you use, you said TRX1, TRX2s, because they will record everything, including the NAC IDs, PL codes, uh, unit IDs. And when you say record everything, it records all the encryption while the unit in while it searches will just pass through the encryption stuff. What would be like a typical setup though? If you were either at home or in a hotel for a couple of days, what's your, what's your, your, your setup? Well, how do you set up each radio? Do you use a trx1 and a trx2 and a unit in or what's what's your typical um i don't know what's the best way to say your your, your typical either your your permanent monitoring setup for something like this and and your portable one
1: okay well normally my basic travel kit will include my 436 unit and two trx1 radios i usually set one up to just do the vhf federal band and one to set up just to do the UHF federal band for the TRX radios and the unit will be a scanner that I'll be listening to local trunk systems or a lo- a local searching for stuff, aircraft, whatever. So I usually carry at a minimum those three radios. they fit in my backpack. I don't need to carry any extra stuff. They I, They go on the carry on just fine. So that's my basic setup. And then I add stuff depending on where I'm going and how long I'm going to be there. For instance, if I'm just going on a quick trip, for a couple of days down to L.A. or Vegas or something like that, that's probably what I'll just take. I'll just take those three radios. Maybe I'll grab a fourth if I, you know, another handheld of some kind, just to have if I if I think I'm gonna have time. Part of the problem too is when I travel, I'm traveling for work, and my schedule can be really long days and minimal time in the hotel room. So uh, it just depends on the situation what I'll grab. You know, how many extra radios I might grab. On the other hand, when I head down to, uh, I've been lucky enough to go work at the Super Bowl every year for the last 12 years. And that's a two-week trip. So I will take as much as I can carry. (laughs) I'll take antennas. I'll take radios. I'll take extra laptops. I'll take everything I can because the Super Bowl is such a unique event. And you'll get a lot of one-time-only frequencies that may come up. Agencies will show up and be there that normally you wouldn't hear. So I'll take as much as I can carry and much as I can ship ahead of time. And so uh yeah, it just depends on the situation. But a minimum, I carry the two T-Rexes and at least a unit, and I may add the two T-Rex 2s. I have two of those in a little shipping case I can carry with me because a lot of times I'll set those up in the hotel room. When I was in Vegas, what I did is I split the all the, the Whistler radios up to where they were searching parts of the band. Instead of trying to search the whole federal band with one radio, I split it up into parts and searched half of the VHF band in one radio uh, and then the upper half in another radio that helped kind of narrow down stuff and, and it keeps from missing stuff because it does take a while for the radio to search from one end of the band to the other. I when mean, you split it up into smaller sections, you get more, you can pay more attention to that section of the band faster. So you don't, you're less likely to miss stuff. And so that did help in Vegas, especially now that the, um, the VHF federal band is is originally didn't have much channel planning as far as repeater inputs and outputs. It was just kind of scattered to wherever they determined they wanted to, to use them. Now they're trying to get a standard setup where the lower end of the band is going to be repeater inputs. The upper end of the band is going to be repeater outputs. So by splitting the band or splitting the scanners up and searching those halves of the band, I was able to figure out repeater inputs fairly easily because if I got traffic on a lower frequency and heard the same traffic on a frequency in the upper end of the band aha i knew those two were part of a repeater pair so um yeah that's when i start adding radios i start trying to allocate what they're searching to more specific areas or more specific bands and it helps uh find stuff i think easier when you have uh, obviously have more tools working on the on the spectrum you can find more interesting stuff that way
0: right i was going to ask you about that so i'm glad you brought that up now have you ever thought about or have you experimented by using like any sdr or something like the air spy that, that has a large footprint that it can receive at once so you can Absolutely. look at a waterfall display yeah Absolutely. have you found that to be helpful
1: I've, I've bought i've had an air spy for a number of years and an sdr play and i just bought a second air spy because when i went on a trip i forgot my original air spy so i ordered a new one and it shipped to me <laughs> but yeah those are tremendous tools for searching out stuff because you can sit and look at a big chunk of the radio spectrum and all of a sudden you'll see a little spike pop up and you'll narrow right on that and it gets your attention. It's much faster than searching, much quicker. You can find stuff that you, your, your even weak signals, your scanner might not even stop on, but you may see a little spike pop up every once in a while and figure out what frequency it is and I'll put it in a, in a radio and just hold on that frequency. And I found all kinds of stuff doing that. So the, the SDR... The ability to use an SDR to look at the, uh, the waterfall display has been a tremendous, tremendous thing, a wonderful thing for the hobby, at least as far as my end goes. And I usually have at least one of those in my backpack with me when I travel. I, getting the opportunity to use it sometimes is a little rare. But, uh, yeah, it's absolutely become a really useful, useful instrument.
0: That's how I found the postal. <laughs> when, yeah exactly and, uh, when they run that because i'm like hey, this is a weird spot for something to be spiking in so often so mm-hmm. yeah it's uh it's a great tool and then so you're using the trx one the trx two so i'm pretty sure i know the answer to this next question but you, do you use any other software to help you out with logging or discovery or uh you know just figuring out what's out there because i know with the with the gre and whistler stuff it's kind of almost impossible to uh to use third-party logging
1: yeah, no, uh, the only other thing I pretty use consistently is probably Pro96 Com. I use that for trunking okay. systems a lot. That's come in really, really handy too, not just for federal stuff, but any P25 trunk system. So I've got multiple instances of that running here at home, watching the local trunk systems. But as far as logging software and stuff, I really, I really haven't done that. Most of my collection is done on the, just using the recordings from the Whistler radios right now. And even the unit and stuff, I do use, or I have used some of the uh, uh, Butel software uh, with the unit and radios and at least run a log. It'll it'll let you remote, you know, act as a remote control to the radio and it'll log activity that the radio picks up. So that has come in handy too sometimes when I'm just scanning stuff. So it lets me know what's busy, what's been going on, what is picked up when I wasn't logging, that kind of stuff. So
0: Gotcha. And then... um so here, here's a question. I'll let you stand on the rabbit hole, but uh, how do you know what you're monitoring? Especially if maybe you can't hear it cause it's encrypted traffic or, or something like that. What is, what are some, some clues and resources that you have that would help somebody out to know what agency they're monitoring? Cause again, a lot of times during a conversation, there's no, you know, it doesn't say, Hey, FBI one, FBI two, you know, you, you they don't, they don't talk like that. How do you know who you're monitoring?
1: Yeah, it, that's a good question. And that's, that's one of the questions that I get so much from, from readers is they pick up a frequency who's, and they want to know who it is. There's a number of clues you can gather. Sometimes they make it very difficult for you to figure out who it is, not just with the encryption. But most federal agencies now will have a, uh, in addition to, if you're using P25 digital, in addition to the radio frequency itself, you'll usually see a, a P25 NAC or network access code. That's the digital equivalent of what used to be the the tone squelch. And a lot of agencies will use a particular NAC code pretty consistently. They're not 100% consistent, and they will often pick something weird and and confuse you when you first see it. But for instance, the FBI likes to use a NAC of 167. DEA likes to use a NAC of 156. When you see that, that's the first clue. Ah, I might be picking up something with the FBI or the DEA. The second thing I look at is the radio identification. All P25 radios, when they transmit, will ra- and transmit a radio ID. It's usually a seven or eight-digit number. Five-digit number depends on how they program it. And that is supposed to be a unique ID to that radio. Over the years, people have figured out what radio IDs are used, sometimes by what agencies. Some agencies are much better at Coordinating that and organizing that than others. I think the Justice Department is pretty good about organizing radio IDs. DHS Homeland Security is also pretty good at that. But other agencies like the Coast Guard, Forest Service, or whatever, or other agencies use P twenty five radios may not be. So seeing a particular radio ID pop up on a frequency may not be as as uh, big an indicator of who it is as you might think sometimes. And then there are agencies who are using encrypted radios who are using a talk group or a radio ID of one and an ACK of one, and it's like, well, okay. <laughs> any other clues there? Right. And it, it, sometimes Somebody really just took hard. the
0: radio. Yeah, somebody took the radio out of the box and just uh, it just it just defaulted to everything right. Exactly, just, and just I, well, I think sometimes yeah.
1: I think sometimes they do it on purpose. I think sometimes when they really want to hide their activity, they just they don't put any identifiers on it. They just make everybody radio ID one knack of one and go to town and encrypt everything. So it's it's a little tough sometimes to 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 uh, identify them right away. Another tool that I use is just searching. I get online and look both radio reference, other websites that might have some federal information uh, databases, my own blog. I try to keep the radio IDs lists there going and frequencies and NACs things like that. But I always have to qualify when it when I think I figured out a frequency. I always go, well, it's likely this one because I, I never can be 100% sure because there's always a possibility that somebody may have intentionally or accidentally programmed a radio with the wrong ID or the wrong NAC or whatever. And so I can't really guarantee 100% that that's a particular agency. But oftentimes, agencies tend to use a lot of the same frequencies that they've used for years. So there are lists out there. There are frequency lists that people have maintained. There are people who have access to or had access to the actual federal frequency list or file, the government master file, which we can talk about if you want to. They are the, have the ability to look up what agencies has, have those frequencies. And I still have access to some of the older GMF files from years ago. And a, a lot of it hasn't changed much over the years. Yeah, there have been new agencies and and things like that, and they bought new radios, but their frequency allocations haven't really dramatically changed a lot. Although we're seeing a lot of newer ones for Justice Department, Homeland Security, and so forth.
0: All right. Since you brought it up, let's let's talk really quick though. What what is the government master file, and what could you uh, well, what would you expect to see in there?
1: The uh, just a little background. Most frequencies that people hear for local police and fire are going to be licensed by the FCC. Most federal, most frequencies that you look up are, are for your local public safety are going to be licensed by the FCC. In fact, they all should be. Federal frequencies are not licensed by the FCC. They are licensed through the NTIA, the National Tele- Telecommunications and Information Administration, part of the Department of Congress, Commerce, and uh, they actually allocate and issue licenses for federal agencies. A lot of people have this idea that federal agencies don't have licenses or call signs. They do. They don't often use them, but they do actually have allocations for frequencies. They have areas where they can and can't use them. They have call signs. And a lot of people who've been monitoring federal frequencies for years might remember back when the FBI was analog. You often heard the FBI offices give their call signs when they were on the air. But anyway, the um, government master file, is the master database for government allocations maintained by the NTIA. And it's classified, so public doesn't have access to it. You can access it through a subscription service if you are a government contractor or have a valid need for access to it. I have had some nice, kind sources give me parts of the government master file as text files. So I can look through that and find some uh, unclassified stuff on that but basically it's just a big collection of of allocations for frequencies and where they should be used there's all kinds of technical data in there similar to fcc licenses but again they're not it's not easily accessible to the public and and uh but it it provides a lot of good clues uh if you can find uh, access to it or find somebody else who has access to it and it will help identify somebody pretty close i have not had much luck getting anybody who has access to the classified part of the government master file. So uh, there's a lot of frequencies I haven't confirmed yet as to who it might be. But I also get occasionally get feedback from readers who are in the government and who do have access to that. And they will kind of say, well, you're pretty close or you're right on on that. They won't give me a copy of the information or they won't give me a, an actual picture of the the allocation or anything, but they will say, yeah, you're you're pretty darn close there. So That helps confirm things sometimes.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Did you know there are ways to help support the Scanner School podcast that doesn't take any time or any extra money on your part? If you go to ScannerSchool.com support, you will find we have several ways that you can continue to do your online shopping and help support us. We have links to Amazon. If you click on our link before you go to Amazon, anything you buy from there will help support Scanner School. Now, if you're in the market for a brand new scanner, an antenna, other accessories, we have links to Scanner Master, where you can not only purchase a scanner and accessories, but you can also get your radio programmed. And by clicking on our link before you buy, you are helping to support the podcast. Now, if you're in the market for software, we have links to Butel. And if you want something new to you, we also have links eBay Again, just go to ScannerSchool.com slash support before you make your purchases, and you are helping to support Scanner School at no additional cost to you. <coughs> this session of Scanner School is sponsored by East Coast Pagers. Now, East Coast Pagers is one of my online companies, and we are Unication, Apollo, and Swiss phone dealers serving the North American market. Now, if you're looking for a personal use pager or one fee department, we can get you a quote at the very best prices. So why does a company like East Coast Pages support Scanner School? I think that every scanner reader user should at least put one pager in their collection of radios. The reason why is very simple. It frees up your scanner to just do scanning, and then you have one radio that's dedicated to your local fire activity. Now, with a pager, you can have voice storage. You can do tone-outs. You can keep it silent. You can go back the next day and listen to what you've missed overnight. It's more than you can do with an out-of-the-box scanner. And with today's pagers having multiple frequencies and even having multiple channels in a scan list, like the Unication G1 can do 8 channels in a scan list. It has 64 memory channels, and out of the box it comes with 11 minutes of stored voice and a desktop charger the g2s to g5s they do p25 phase one and phase two in simulcast environments with stored voice paging on conventional np25 oh and they're upgradable too to dmr type one and type two they are more rugged than today's consumer based scanners and with a pager like a swiss phone s quad you won't even realize you're wearing one it'll help keep you informed as to what's going on in your neighborhood so again eastcoastpagers.com or contact me directly phil at eastcoastpagers.com do you have a new scanner you're having problems understanding how it works maybe you're new to the entire home patrol database of programming and you can't figure out a sentinel did you get a new sdr and you're trying to figure out how to install it or you want to learn how to use Unitronker, dsd plus maybe set up a Piaware, or even just make some changes and you don't understand how the system and the equipment works, the podcast might be great for you, but maybe you need a little bit more of one-on-one help with setting something up. I'm available to do just that with you with our private tutoring sessions. You can book me online by going to scannerschool.com slash consulting for a one-hour session. And it's great because we can actually share computer screens remotely and I can guide you through step-by-step as if I was sitting right next to you. So again, book me for an hour at ScannerSchool.com consulting for your Scanner Radio one-on-one tutoring session. <coughs> National Communications Magazine is your personal library of Scanner, CB, GMRS, FRS, MURS, and 2A radio articles written by the best minds in the business over the past three decades. Your NatCom personal online access account allows you to download the newest issues of America's Hobby Radio magazine, as well as back issues, too. So visit NatComMag.com to download your free sample issues and sign up today. That's NatComMag.com for National Communications Magazine. Okay, so you, you address that a lot of agencies use the same PL, the same NAT code, same radio IDs. You also kind of tease about your website. So let's, let's combine this question here together for you. Where can I look up the list of frequencies, the PL codes the NAC codes to get an idea who's talking and feel free at this point point feel free to, to share your website and what you have on there. Cause that's, that is my go-to if I see a frequency or if I see a PL code or a NAC code or something like that, the first place I'm going is, is your website. So, um, is, is that a good place to start to look, that or is, I, are there other resources? Or I mean, I, I'm pretty much answering my own question, but go ahead.
1: <laughs> no, that is a good place to start, and that's why I maintain it. I, I want people to be able to go and look there. I started a blog back when I wrote for Monitoring Times, and I try to uh, I keep a running blog of little tidbits of information. But I also keep pages with lists of information. I'm trying to break it down by agency right now, but anyway, if you go look up the Fed Files blog, if you just Google that, it'll pop right up. I don't have the URL right in front of me right now, but it's uh, the Fed Files blog. I do own a couple of web pages. I own the domain thefedfiles.com and fedfiles.net, but I haven't really done anything with them yet. That's something I've been inspired to try to do after seeing what you've been doing with all of the the scanner school and so forth. But I'm not much of an HTML programmer, so I haven't really gotten into building a website yet. Right now, the website just points you to the blog, I think, pretty much. But uh, yeah, the the blog is where I usually try to store all my active information, stuff that I know is good, stuff that I know is useful. I'll put it up there. I've got broken down by agency, like I said. I'll post little news items if something pops up that might be interesting. I'll post links to stuff, things like that. But um, definitely go check out the Fed Files blog. And of course, if you want to read my column every month, you should go check out the Spectrum Monitor magazine, thespectrummonitor.com. It's a monthly e-magazine. And a bunch of the writers that used to write for Monitoring Times are writing for that magazine now. We've been doing it for six years now and are doing pretty well. Uh, We seem to have a pretty good readership. And I get a lot of feedback from people who read my column. And so, yeah, that's, that's always a good place to read or catch up on what I've been doing.
0: Yep, I've I've been subscribing to the Spectrum Monitor since day 1 since uh Modern oh, Times disappeared, but uh yeah, it's it's a great uh, great magazine and I definitely miss you know Modern Times, but it's it's been replaced by something that uh that is uh that is equal to or better than let's put it that way. I'm not going to say well, it's, thank you. you
1: know, uh, we all I don't want to
0: compare one to the other. It's it's, it <laughs> is a great magazine. I just find it difficult. I mean, I, it must be like an age thing. Cause I find it very difficult to read digital print magazines. You're not alone. You know, I, I yeah, I I miss the old page turning type of thing yeah. and, and and marking pages and and ripping out Absolutely. the ones that are important and putting them into a catalog type of thing, but I what I do is I've 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 pretty much converted myself over to Mac anyway. So what I do is the email comes in, I file it in a folder, then I open up the the attachment and I I save it in my books, which then mm-hmm. allows me to take it to my iPad and then s- skim through it, but I right. I definitely don't absorb what's in there the same way I absorb what was in paper. I mean, no, nothing. I, it's just it's just I don't know. It, it might be that you know somebody 10, 15 years younger than me might say, what are you, nuts? You yeah.
1: know? <laughs> but, no, you're absolutely but, uh, right. And I, and I can sympathize with that I, I or empathize with that. I, I have the same feeling mm-hmm. sometimes because I used to love to actually hold the magazine in my hand and read it at my leisure. And it just doesn't feel the same when you're swiping your finger across the screen. It just isn't the same. And I know a lot right. of uh, other hobbyists, scanner hobbyists were disappointed in the fact that when monitoring times went away, they were left with no printed alternatives uh, mm-hmm. really for uh, scanners to a magazine. So yeah, it's, right. it's a common issue, but I, I, yeah, I, I don't really know. I've gotten more used to reading it on my uh, either my laptop or my home computer. But, uh, yeah, I can, I can certainly understand where you're coming from on that. Cause I, I, I felt the same way. So,
0: <laughs> right. But again, not, not to take away at all. Cause the magazine is still, the e-magazine is still, it, it mimics what you would have gotten in print, but in a digital format. it's, it's, it's exactly. it still has the same field, the same columns, the same everything else. It's just a different medium for reading the media. And, exactly. uh, it's, um. It's just a change of the times because a lot of even a lot of the stuff that was print has now gone digital only. And I know a guy that uh, he started with a printed magazine. He was doing okay. I think he was just about keeping it afloat. And then he went to a print version because people were demanding print and it caused him to have to fold up shop completely because of just the, the change in cost. So, uh, so I totally get why it's there. It's just I don't know a little bit of a of a vent type of thing, but uh, yeah, no, doesn't I... take away at all from the quality of the magazine, the information that's inside of it, whether it was printed or whether it's digital, is still top notch, and uh, it, it's still a great resource. So, let's take this back now to very actually no, let's let's go here first since we're talking about it. What is it like though to write a monthly column for a uh, a print or an online magazine? What what's uh, what's the process like, and and how do you uh, how do you figure out? I mean, do you just I'm in this town today so this is this month's column or do you, uh, do you have some sort of agenda when you when you're writing something out or what's what's the process for you when when you're writing your uh, your columns
1: Well that's that's a good question. I it's I had never written before professionally before 2004 when I got called from Monitoring Times and asked if I was interested in writing a column. I was very excited about the idea of writing a column but I was kind of scared because I had never done it before. I had no idea what to do. So I, I sat down and wrote some stuff and tried to uh, make it interesting, and I had a couple of friends look at it, and they said, well, I'll change this, change that. And I think I did a pretty good job, and I, get, it got a little easier every time I came up with a new column and, or wrote a new column. It came a little easier. The words flowed a little easier from my, my brain to my fingers when I typed it. But it basically, I just wrote about what interested me at the time. In other words, in a particular month, I sat down and wrote about something that I had been searching or listening to personally, or if somebody had sent me some information on a particular agency, or somebody had written in with a question about a particular agency, I might write a monthly column about that agency, put all their frequencies in. I will say some months it gets a little hard because I want to keep the column interesting and fresh, but at the same time, maybe nothing happened to me that month. (laughs) Nothing interesting happened. So I got to come up with something to fill 2,800 words that, that still interests readers. And I also realized too, that not everybody is reading my column continuously. In other words, there are a lot of new readers pop up or maybe readers who never read my column before and just stumble across it. So I try to put something in it that I may have covered before, but I don't want to get too repetitive. So it's a little bit mm-hmm. of a balancing act for me trying to decide how often have I talked about this. I don't want to get to sound like I'm writing about the same thing all the time. But yeah, it's basically what interests me at the time. What in, what's What's in my... field of vision right at the time that I'm writing it and what I think people might find interesting or useful. Well, for instance, like uh, early on after the the whole uh, COVID-19 shutdown came about, I started writing about, okay, what frequencies might you hear stuff on related to this? The National Guard, Mm -hmm. we're setting up field hospitals. I came up with as much National Institute of Health and CDC frequencies as I could, federal interop frequencies, just in case something popped up and uh, right. tried to write about that. So it just kind of depends on what what's going on around me at the time. That kind of becomes the subject for my column. Sometimes I'll get an idea for a column, then I'll work on it for a couple months before I actually write it out. This month's column or the one for October I, I work on right now involves what I did uh, a few weeks ago in Wilmington, in Wilmington Delaware. So that's going to provide some interesting information. So, you know, like I said, it's just what it's in my field of view at the particular time. Sometimes I'll find a particular agency or a particular document online that might be interesting and use that. But, uh, yeah, I just kind of I try to keep it as interesting as I can. I write about what interests me. So that's that's basically what what motivates me
0: in my writing. I can tell you, it's it's no different with a podcast. Mm. <laughs> so I, I did the exact same thing when when COVID started. But I, I I did that. You know, what would you expect to monitor now with the COVID thing? Even with repetition, I mean, we're we're closing in really soon on episode one hundred and fifty. And, uh, you know, your, your, this one is, as it airs, is just shy of that. And you have to look back and go, well, I did touch on this. Maybe I touched on on episode 10 or maybe it was episode 25, or maybe it was episode a <laughs> hundred. Yeah. And you gotta remember people are coming in and they're not going to listen to the back catalog as, 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 right, well, as people right. aren't going to go through the back catalog in the magazine. And it's okay to, to repeat yourself as long as you repeat it slightly different. Cause then of course you're going to get somebody comes in and goes, you said that already. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so yes. It's like, well, yeah, but you know, when you went to school, you go your teacher and say, "Hey, you taught this in September, and and the finals, you know, the you know, the final exams are in two weeks. No, you want that review, you know, you want to you want to hear it again. Yeah. So uh, it's the same thing. So yeah, I, I can tell you that it's uh, and it's, it is what it, what interests me. Like there's there's certain times where I'm more interested in in one topic than the other, and and or sometimes what I have working on the side, just like you said, dictates what's going to happen next on on. Um, on the podcast as far as as prepping and planning and uh and again having you on now was great timing too as what's going on here with an election cycle and and candidates and and you know people sitting in office currently are are are, are touring to mm-hmm. to uh to drive up uh donations and and excitement and and to do their campaign stops so it's a great sure. time to have you on here because again this hits right in that that start of the peak season the next but eight weeks almost is, oh, yeah. is gonna be it. So yeah. gonna be some really exciting time in federal. So with that, let's assume now we know nothing about federal monitoring. Now we've listened to you discuss what you've been monitoring and we're excited to turn on our scanner for the first time and actually go through monitoring federal. If if you can disconnect from everything you know right now, more or disconnect from what it is you do and keep the knowledge you have. If I want to get started right now today, monitoring federal, where exactly do you begin? And what are some tips that you may have for somebody who is never monitored federal, but now is very interested in doing it?
1: Okay. Well, the first thing I would recommend if if you're interested in monitoring, looking for federal agencies in your area, I would suggest you start with your scanner and use the search function, which we talked about earlier, and program a search range from 162 to 174. In 12 and a half kilohertz steps and let it run. Just let it sit and run for a while and make a note of what you hear. You're liable to hear people talking. You might hear dead carriers. You might hear just noise. Just make a note of it and let it scan for a while. You may not hear anybody talk for quite a while. And then do the same thing with the UHF band, the 406 to 420 megahertz band, and see what you come up with. Like I said earlier, I know everybody can't afford multiple scanners, but even having a single scanner using the search function, using that search range, will help you get started, will help you find what's active in your area. You can also, if you want to keep your scanner scanning, if you're listening to your local police and fire, you can set up a scanning bank, a bank of frequencies for federal stuff. And uh, I know it's available on the Radio Reference Downloads for the Uniden and Whistler Scanners. Under the nationwide frequencies, there should be, I believe, some lists of the common nationwide frequencies for certain agencies. Not every agency, but there's a lot of them in there. So I would go ahead and put those in there and just let them scan as and your regular scanner scanning banks, scanning frequencies, and see what you hear from those. Because you occasionally will catch your local office from, your, from various federal agencies will be using those. I would also highly recommend. There's a group of frequencies that are part of the nationwide interoperability VHF and UHF frequencies for federal. Oh yeah, we've, and we've talked agencies.
0: about those, yeah, many many times in the podcast. Yeah. And I'm glad you're bringing that up. So those yeah, are those, those are may not
1: have activity on them very often, but when they do, they're going to be good to have. Yes, a lot of cities are starting to use those more and more as federal agencies show up to work with their local law enforcement or local public safety. So I would definitely dedicate a bank or a system in your, in your scanner for those uh, interoperability frequencies. But yeah, it's just uh, getting started. It may be kind of slow. You might not hear much. You might not know what you're hearing. But after you've let it scan or search for a while and you've noted which frequencies you're hearing people talking on or hearing digital noise on, then we can try to narrow that down or try to figure out which agencies you're hearing, what other frequencies they might be using. But it just takes time, and that's also something that people may not always have: is time to sit and devote to playing with the radios for long periods of time. They may be busy, may have them on in the background, but it's that's part of the hobby. Is 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 the uh, I guess the the effort it puts in the mining for the frequencies. I always we were talking to somebody the other day and we were talking about federal frequencies. I said, it's kind of like, it's kind of like mining for rare coins. You know, you may have a pile of pennies there, but you may find a really rare one inside some, but you have to dig through it to find it. It's not going to pop up on its own. So yeah, it just takes a little, it takes a little motivation and takes a little dedication, but I think the reward is there once you find a good active set of federal frequencies that you can keep in your radio. And like I said, if you're lucky, you'll hear something going on that that may pop up in the news in three or four days, and you realize, hey, I I heard that a couple of days ago. So yeah, it's just it takes a little time to 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 search and to to build up a channel list, if you will, for your area. But uh, that's that's basically how you have to start. You have to start at the bottom with nothing and kind of build up a list of frequencies from there.
0: Sounds a lot like uh, we talked on the podcast a bit more than a year ago with uh, with uh, someone who had talked about military or mill air monitoring and it was the same deal you know it's oh, just, yeah just definitely break out that scanner and you go and it, it's a little bit i think more difficult to find the mill air stuff because you know it's am and it's only there when they're talking i mean that's it yeah. there's no there's no squelch tail there's no repeater no, there's right. no nothing and it, it's 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 there and gone i mean i i enjoy listening when they're in town you know the the thunderbirds and, and the uh, blue angels and it's it's almost impossible if you don't know what you're what you're trying to monitor
1: oh um, yeah definitely
0: but um the other thing I was going to say, too, is with some of the scanners, too, you can do search and scan at the same time. So you can do a scan for what you know. You can do a scan for PD. Then you can put the radio into search mode automatically and see what pops up. And um, there was there, there's that. And then, um, like I said, you got other scanner radio websites you can look at. You have your own site you can get a list from. And um, there was something else I was going to bring up as I was in middle of talking. And uh, it now completely slips my mind, but go ahead.
1: (laughs) Well, I was going to say, in addition to other websites, I often just just use Google or or your favorite search engine and just put a frequency in. You will be surprised how sometimes frequencies show up in federal documents or requests for bids on equipment. I found a bunch of frequencies for the National Bureau of Standards and for, um, uh, I think it was for the CDC even had some of their frequencies listed in a they were looking to buy some radios and the frequencies will be listed in the request for proposal and it's in the fed in the document online so if you just do a little if you have a frequency that's active you don't know who it is just put the frequency in and you you may stumble across a document that has it in there so
0: right and as it was going to talk about too was we talked about uh you said the the NIFOG channels or the federal interoperability channels and uh, i've shared a story before in the past where we had Superstorm Sandy roll through here a couple of years back and destroy towns in Queens. I mean, they, not only did they get flooding, but they got fire. And down where um, where I grew up, it's the same story. It was uh, waist-deep water, and houses were catching fire. There's, even after the fact, because of electrical services were down compromised, and the power grid comes back on, houses catch on fire. But there were towns that were Long Beach, Long Island, New York. I had a coworker of mine that lived down there. And uh thankfully he had a second story on his home because he had to basically vacate his first floor and go up to the second floor because it was chest high water. And hmm. uh you know immediately after that, of course, you start seeing the 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 black helicopters flying in formation. You know, the the black helicopters you never want to see flying over your neighborhood. Yeah. And uh of course they were assessing damages and seeing what was going on. I mean the sand from the beach was down the main drag that goes through town. I mean that's that's how bad you know, yeah. things were there and yeah. just listening to the scanner. I mean, my day job with AT&T, we were scrambling to set up temporary cell sites and and find out what sites were down. And But to to keep myself grounded, I was listening to the Night Fog channels and you started hearing some people with really, really southern accents. You know, they don't. They're not from around here. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: You know, you're not from around here, boy, are you? And <laughs> uh, it, it was, it was definitely. You knew that they were here for one purpose, one purpose only: to man a radio. And yeah. they were the amount of train that must have been going on with that position. You can tell that this was that guy's job function in the service, whatever department he was with, but he was working in the, um, the interoperable frequencies. There was uh, mm-hmm. a couple guys on VHF and a couple of on UHF. And, and I even think there was a couple that w- were patched in together, but they were here. And again, it was a federal response because it was, um, FEMA was in town and you had the national uh-huh. guard in town and you had, you know, other agencies rolling through. And, um, they like you're saying it was it was a short event it was probably yeah, two weeks long but they were they were on the air they were active and they were doing a lot of the coordination that the local resources were overwhelmed with i mean you yeah PD can't yeah. can't can't help with curfews and stuff like that the way it had to happen around here so it's it's i just wanted to tell that story just to hammer home the fact that yeah put those frequencies in you may never need them, but I always call them the, S H uh, T F bank. You know, yes. <laughs> when, when, it, when it all goes bad, at least you've got that list with you. Yeah. yeah. Even interoperability is too around here. I mean, I, I, I hear out of Jersey that the, the UTAC channels are just a, the, the, the typical tactical channels that yeah. are in use. They're not, they're not used for any type of special government or federal function. So with that all said, any other tips that you may have for somebody who is, is looking to, uh, either get started or expand or, we talked about it a lot i mean we're we're going beyond an hour at this point so i don't want to keep it too much longer but any other tips that you have for anybody who's looking to uh either get started or just dig further down this uh this rabbit hole
1: well uh, the, the tip i always try to give people is, is the biggest thing is be patient because you're not going to find a bunch of stuff you're usually not going to find a bunch of stuff active right away you might i'm i'm not saying you're, you won't but it, it it's not likely it's going to take time to find and build and figure out what you're hearing and who's talking and, and what they might be talking about. A lot of people get frustrated or or don't want to devote the time to it. And like I said, they, they just want a list of known federal frequencies and that's it. It just takes, it takes some patience and don't feel like you're going to have to figure everything out right away. Also, be a little flexible in your thinking in the sense that when you're when you come across an active frequency and it it's on uh, a certain a, a frequency known to be used by a certain agency don't assume it's that agency right away. do a little listening do a little more research because there are very few federal frequencies that are allocated specifically only to one agency. Federal frequencies are almost always allocated to multiple different agencies but they're usually kept either separate geographically that is an agency that works in the southwest would have frequencies that maybe somebody in the northeast might a different agency might use they try to keep them separate that way but don't always assume that what you hear is really who you're hearing like i said i always try to give it a little well it's likely this or it's likely that but always keep your your mind open to what it might not be or might might be somebody else there's always a possibility that you might be hearing something that's that's not really on that frequency uh oftentimes I'll get people saying, well, I heard this guy talking on this frequency about delivering pizzas or something. And I said, well, it's most likely an image. Uh, it wasn't really a federal frequency. It wasn't really a federal agency. You're just living within a block of a transmitter of somebody who you're, you know, you're getting interference with somebody. So that's all another topic of itself is, is when you're hearing mm-hmm. something, that's not really there, but yeah, basically just try and be patient. Try to take a lot of notes. Remember what you've, what you've been hearing and, Refine your your list of frequencies. Refine what you've found over the years, and just keep searching and keep looking for something new to pop up. Because inevitably it will. There, it just seems like as soon as you got something figured out as particular agency, something new will pop up. So never never give up the 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 idea of looking for something new that might might just show up out of the blue. So
0: right, and that's exactly why we say you know it's it's. This the search features where you find all the secrets. Yeah. So, yes. <laughs> Very true. So, Very uh, true. in fact, I'm going to coin that phrase. I think I like that one. So, <laughs> so let's see. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to turn this upside down for a little bit because, um, sure. just, just make it a little bit of, of an opinion here and, uh, don't be afraid of hurting any manufacturer's feelings here. But, uh, <laughs> if you had to pick one radio to take with you for fed monitoring, what would that one radio be and why?
1: Oh boy, you know, a lot of people have asked me that, and that, that's a good question because um, over the years, there have been so many different models of scanners uh, that have been made that they all have good features in them. I think They're, most scanners have a good feature set in them, but the next model may have a different feature set and uh one brand may have a different feature set than another. They all have good stuff, but nobody's made one radio that has all the good stuff in it. You know I know that's mm-hmm. most likely due to uh copyright and uh, so forth like that and and so forth, and patents so Unidon can't put something in the radio that Whistler holds a patent to. but I guess if you really if I really came down to just keeping one radio, I would probably pick the Unidon probably the 436 right now. I don't have an SDS radio yet. I've been on the fence the last couple of weeks, so <laughs> haven't gotten one yet. But as far as my the most useful radio for me to carry around, travel with, use at home, use in the car, that's probably been the most useful radio to me as far as actually listening to things and scanning things. Again, it doesn't have quite as good a, a search function as far as recording and so forth, but it'll certainly pick up. Federal frequencies just fine. The Whistler radios also pick up just fine. A lot of a lot of the um, back and forth that I see, especially on radio reference between Whistlers and unitens, it's a lot like between arguments between Ford and Chevy owners. You
0: know, that's exactly they're, what I say. Exactly, they're both like good it. radios. Yep.
1: There, there's yep. nothing wrong with either radios, but you will get some people say, "Oh no, these these are terrible radios. These are better." I don't know of any really terrible radios right now. All the radios that I have run into in the last couple generations have all been really decent radios so there were some terrible radios back 30 years ago some of the old mm-hmm. uh, some of the uh, later model regency scanners were horrible when they got into the wow. digitally synthesized radios
0: I was going to ask you that if that was a follow-up <laughs> question was what was one radio that you that you used out that you'd never even touch oh, again Oh,
1: gosh so well, that would be that <laughs> there were a couple yeah there were a couple that uh, when when Regency started making some of their their programmable radios that were up in the 800 megahertz Band, I don't think they were trunking. It was before trunking. They were horrible. They just had images everywhere, intermod. It was just, uh, I don't remember the model number. I think I I think I think got rid of it as
0: fast as I could. It, it hit the can, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I had one of the Tenlec. was it MPC-1s? The big, heavy programmable radio with the big red LED displays. It was a really cool radio for its time, but it weighed a ton, and you could cook a sandwich on top of it. And it, it was full of birdies and images, too. So it wasn't oh. really a great performer and i think even you now some of the I, I you know i can't think of any in the last 20 years that i would throw away other than probably i, I the the biggest um I, I still have my first pro 96 which
0: was you know it's funny i was i was gonna say the exact same thing <laughs> the pro i i, 20, I still the 96 have 96 and the 2096 yeah yeah I, I still
1: even used yeah they were just uh, today by today's standard they were terrible but at the time it was like holy smokes i can pick up digital you know, it was a groundbreaking, groundbreaking radio. Yeah. I used
0: my Pro ALG 296 interest. for a Coast Guard. That, that yeah. was my that was my dedicated Coast Guard radio. But well, again, I mean,
1: that's something I've uh, I've started doing because of the sitting at home for a while. I started repurposing some of my old radios and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, taking some of that are just sitting or gathering dust. And I said, well, I'm just going to build a bank a Coast Guard, or I'm just going to build a bank of uh some of the airline frequencies i'm going to build a bank of just the highway patrol and they 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 still have use they still work and they still work yes a lot of people say well everything's digital you know what good are the analog radios? i still use an analog scanner for searching for federal stuff at home because most of what i listen to on it is going to be the the national park or the forest service which are still analog but i have it searching Mm -hmm. and it will stop on a digital frequency you'll just hear a bunch of white noise but that gets my attention and that says, aha! Yeah. Somebody's on this frequency. I lock out ones that I know of, so I, I you know, when I hear that, it immediately grabs my attention. So older scanners can still have some use, use, and st- still have some net worth if you use them right. And like you said, you can either right. dedicate to scanning small sections of frequencies or analog services. But they still work just fine for searching. You just have to use them as a guide. You're not going to hear anything digitally on them, but you're going to know that that frequency is active. And then you can use your digital scanner to find who, the, who it is and what they're saying.
0: Right. And again, those are those XLT scanners that are out there. I mean, that's, that's the perfect use for these things. Yeah. Uh, even down, you know, I mean, the old, I like the old uh, 9000 XLTs, the 898, the 895, mm-hmm. right? Because they got that jog dial on them. And yes, it allows yeah. you just to, to to go up the VFO that way well you know very well too yep. so but again it, it proves the point that that you're just saying you you may have a favorite scanner that that you may pick but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be the best scanner because it checks nine out of ten boxes right so and, but it's it's the best tool for that job but it's a Swiss Army knife right you can't right the uh, uh, is it the uh, jack-of-all-trades, master-of-nothing kind of thing, where every every scanner, though, serves a purpose. And that's the way, just as you're doing right now, is how I have my stuff set up over here, is is certain radios do certain things very well. Certain radios are dedicated to just certain tasks. A lot of people, too, I mean, I've seen pictures where it's like 25, 780 XLTs on a shelf. Mm -hmm. And each one maybe covers a very small portion of the Miller Band. And that's how they're able to cover... I mean, I'm sure the guys down in Satellite Beach, Florida that's that's when you're who used to do that was it um oh i
1: Michigan know who you're talking about it?
0: uh well, um, it was the owl, but it wasn't al it was um no. he passed well, away a couple uh, years al ago al
1: stern al stern used to live al in stern, stern yes.
0: Yes. yes yes that's what i'm thinking of but uh you know his setup was he was every day i got this i got this i got this oh, you yeah. know this is what i'm copying today amazing. i mean
1: yeah he could come up oh with yeah. yeah just amazing
0: yeah i, I always wish i had him on the podcast but um like I just said before, the secrets are in the search banks. And that's that's what <laughs> I keep saying that from now on. Very true. So we're going to go back to the very beginning of this podcast now when you talked about how you got started monitoring and you monitor police and you monitor aviation. And now, I mean, really, you're into federal stuff now. But um, besides the federal, today, what else are you monitoring?
1: Well, at home, I am obviously listening to my local police and fire EMS. Uh, I usually keep that on the background. I'm listening to some neighboring counties. Their police fire, highway patrol. I'm a pretty big male air listener, too. I have three or four scanners dedicated to military air comms. We have an Air National Guard F uh, 15 group here in Portland. So they're fairly active, or they have been getting more active with daily training flights. And uh, so that's, and then of course, there's the federal stuff and searching for federal stuff. I'm also kind of um, digging into some of the newer business stuff, DMR, NXD, on our local. Um, Power distribution company has moved to a 217 megahertz DMR tier three system, which is interesting. interesting. And uh, it's very listenable, but programming it into some scanners is a real challenge. We haven't figured out how to get it to trunk track properly. You can listen to it conventionally just fine, but getting it to trunk track is
0: another issue. I'm sure you have to sit there and tear out the channel plan and everything else. Yeah.
1: We haven't figured it out yet, but we're working on it. (laughs) a local uh, a lot of the forestry the lumber timber companies around here are, are moving from what used to be a lot of VHF low band stuff they're actually moving to high band right now so we're trying to find frequencies for that there's uh, there's a couple of local industries here one of them might be called Nike uh, that has some NXDN radios and they're always interesting to listen to so yeah there's there's all kinds of local stuff going on that I like to listen to when I'm here and always looking for uh, uh, new stuff. A lot of, uh, with the schools starting to reopen, a lot of the schools have bought DMR radios, it seems like, uh, replaced their analog radios. And uh, the county where I live is in the process of upgrading to a new P25 Phase 2 system. They were originally targeting for fall to switch over. They're not going to get there until probably next year but the new tower sites think, are popping I don't think up. Any so.
0: place, yeah, I don't think any place that's that's ever kind of <laughs> has met their deadline. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I, I agree. That out here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I agree. It's it's usually uh, a few and far between where they can actually meet yes. the timeline. But anyway, new pow, new towers have started to pop up, and I've noted that the new towers are sporting not only the uh, 800 megahertz, seven 800 megahertz antennas, but also some VHF and UHF antennas. So we're noting that they are uh, setting up uh, local uh, UHF search and rescue uh, channels, as well as the VHF oh, nice. interop and stuff like that. So, yeah, there's there's all kinds of stuff going on to keep us keep the keep the radios busy besides the federal stuff. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of into everything right now, especially when I'm home. I have some stuff dedicated to the federal and to the military air, but uh, just tuning around looking for other other stuff is always kind of fun for me too.
0: Excellent. So I know we're we're going kind of late and kind of long here. So I, I appreciate Not your to time worry. That, you, that you're going I'm sure we could talk about this for a couple extra hours, but it'd be great <laughs> before we <laughs> maybe we'll have to have you back on after uh, after uh, the election cycle and talk about what you what you monitored sure. at or something else like that. But okay. um, I mean, one thing that we can take away from here is it doesn't really matter where you are in the US, and I'm sure the same thing carries true if you can monitor them in other countries as well, is no matter where you are there's something to monitor inland, right. You've got geographical, uh, the, the geological rather you've got forestry, you've got, uh, of course, you know, federal bureau of investigation, Homeland security, wherever along the shorelines though. I mean, cause I won't get forestry out here, but I'm definitely able to monitor Coast guards and, and in the city you've got border protection and, and stuff like that because, you know, you got JFK airport. So you've got a, a port of entry here. Of course you've got ports being with the, uh, with, um, the cruise ships as well as cargo ships coming in. And of course you've got national monuments, national parks. So there's plenty of places where you're going to find federal across the country. And I'm sure again, the same thing as everywhere else. So is there anything else that you want to bring up? And again, we're going to put links to um, everything you've talked about, including your website in the session notes. So anybody who's listening, doesn't have to worry about running it and and running it down and forget about it. We'll, we'll have in the session notes of the podcast, but where can Is there anything else you want to bring up, first of all? And second of all, plug where people can follow you and what you do, especially where you are on Twitter and everything else, because that's where I get a lot of information, a lot of cool pictures that you post on there as well. And, um, yeah, feel free to to plug away.
1: Okay. Well, the only thing I can add to the whole subject is is, is – like i said it, it's it opens up to me it opened up a whole new interesting part of this hobby when i started searching and started looking for something new so don't uh, you know if you're if your local police or local public safety stuff has gone uh, encrypted and you don't think there's much to uh much to listen to anymore just start looking around because i mean there's plenty of stuff to see or to hear throughout the bands not just Federal, not just military, not just police and fire. There's all kinds of people still using radios. I know there's been a lot of discussion, even amongst federal agencies, about using the the first net stuff or using push-to-talk over cellular, in a, as opposed to radios. I don't know that that's ever going to replace radios. But even with that going on, there are still businesses, like I said, buying radios. There's still government agencies buying radios. There's still government agencies building home radio systems. So. There's always going to be stuff coming over the scanner. You're going to be able to hear that. That to me is always interesting. So be be open to exploring new stuff if you can. As far as following me, I like I said I've got the uh, the Fed Files blog. I'm also on Twitter at the the Fed Files is my Twitter handle, and I usually try to keep that with interesting stuff that I find. I don't necessarily uh, tweet all the time, but I do retweet a lot of stuff that I find. I think me, people might find interesting on the subject and uh, yeah and if they if they're interested in reading my column by all means go to the spectrum monitor magazine website and uh, see about subscribing cuz that uh that helps keep me in toys too when i when i get paid for writing my <laughs> column so <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's that's that was that was what got me motivated. Was uh, this would be a great thing to do to keep my hobby and addiction going. So <laughs> I certainly couldn't that's, live off of, it, but I enjoy doing it a yeah. lot.
1: It really for me is very self satisfying and very it makes me feel good when I write something that I enjoy reading. And I hope everybody else that reads it finds it the same way. I will say I, right. I don't get a ton of feedback from right from readers. I'm really it makes me feel really good to hear how much you enjoy my writing and my website because. I don't get a lot of that from a lot of federal monitors out there. I guess there's a there I guess there is kind of a not everybody, but a lot of the people that I run into and talk to online sometimes are kind of secretive about what we are information. And there's nothing wrong with that, but uh, I'm trying to keep it a little less secret. I don't uh, certainly post everything that I know. I certainly don't publish everything that I've been given over the years. but I do try to keep stuff interesting and available. Online or in my column, so that that you can find it if you're looking for it. So,
0: excellent. And again, it's it's one of those things. It's like a passion project, right? You you really enjoy what you're doing. You want to share it. You want to teach other people how to do it, and uh you do a, a very very excellent job. Like I said, I've been uh, a huge fan of your work for for a long time. And uh if anybody else, this is your call to action. If anybody else out there enjoys what uh, Chris does, drop him a line and let him know that <laughs> that you are a uh, that you read his column and, and give him some feedback because. Uh, it definitely, uh, it definitely feels good to know people are out there, and it's it's hard because it's it it is a it is very much a one one direction kind of thing sometimes. When it is uh, when when you do stuff like this, so I uh, do
1: I do but, remember um, when we were writing for Monitoring Times, they usually did an annual reader survey, and they always told me. When the reader survey was done, that the, the column that I wrote, the Fed files, was usually one of the more popular columns, even though I hardly ever got any feedback from the readers. But the fact that they liked the column, I guess, was uh, was enough for me. So it really made me feel good when I heard that.
0: Well, it's also good, too. You don't get all of the feedback that says, you're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> oh, <So. laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't done that. Haven't gotten that yeah, yet. So, so that means you're doing a good job. People can't pick it apart. So, but uh, Chris, I I want to thank you. I know we've we've spent uh, quite a bit of time here, and oh, my pleasure. Uh, it's a, it's a Saturday here, and I want to say thank you so much for being here. And I really I would love to have you back. So I'm sure there's plenty more we can talk about. I think we hit the tip oh, of the sure. iceberg here. And uh, anytime you want to come on, you just drop me an email. And let me know. And again, for anybody else who's out there, who's you know the listener, let Chris know. And also, if you have any ideas and any questions for Chris, you know, you can you can funnel it to him, or we can collect them here and have uh, have Chris come back on, and we can just keep feeding him all the questions that you guys have. So absolutely, it'd be great to have you on. So Chris,
1: I do, I, I do put in my column that I take requests. So if you got any questions, yeah. please let me know.
0: <laughs> yep, excellent. Yeah, it, it helps. I mean, that's that's how a lot of content comes from. It's just yeah, by, yeah. by asking questions and, and I do the same thing. I've got, uh, I have a monthly, uh, part of the show where I, I, uh, I dedicate just to answering questions that come in kind of, you know, a, a playbook right of magazines, right? They're usually in the front of the magazines, you have the ask the ask, you know, ask Bob is what it used to yeah. be, right? On Modern yeah. times. Yeah. And, uh, same, same deal, you know, one, yeah. the one week yeah. is dedicated to answering questions. So that's, that's where a lot of content comes from. But Chris, Thank you so much. It's been great having you on, like I said, from from somebody who's been a big fan of you. I'm excited that you're on here. I can't wait to publish this podcast and uh, and share it with everybody else who's out there. And um, we'll, uh, we'll be in touch very soon, I'm sure. Thank you, Phil. Okay. Thanks again. All right, everyone. I know, like I said before, this was a long one, but I hope that you've enjoyed it. Chris was very accommodating. He answered a lot of questions. I tried to make sure that we had a lot of things in here for both People who've done a lot of federal monitoring and those who are looking to get into it. And it's a great time right now to do this because here in the United States, we are pretty much going to get to the peak of an election cycle in a couple of weeks. And people will be touring the country and there will be a lot of federal activity following them throughout the U.S. So this is perfect timing for this. Chris, thank you so much again for being part of the podcast, for being here, for taking the time to record us on a Saturday morning. So thank you for giving part of your Saturday to do this. And I hope that we can have Chris back on the podcast. And again, if you're a fan of Chris's, let him know, or simply reply to this podcast at scannerschool.com slash session one hundred and forty-three. Leave a comment in with the podcast episode. Share this podcast episode with your circle. On your favorite Facebook group, on your own Twitter feed, etc. This way, we can let Chris know that hey, we've enjoyed this podcast episode, and we want to share it with other people. That's a great way because, again, Chris was saying in the podcast that it's a little difficult for him to know how well received his column is. So let's let's show Chris some love, and uh, let's let's uh, spread the podcast episode around so people will realize just how much we've enjoyed this podcast and and what he has brought to the table today. So again, how well did we do? Let us know at scannerschool.com slash session 143. Remember, we'll be on Zello every Tuesday except the first week of the month. You can go to scannerschool.com slash Zello. That's like hello, but with a Z in front of it for our weekly net. And again, you can always subscribe to the podcast by just clicking on the subscribe button on your podcast player. And if you listen to us on the web, click on our newsletter. We'll let you know every week when we have a new podcast out. And also, we have some tips and tricks coming as well. So again, my name is Phil Lichtenberger. This is Scanner School, where we teach you everything you need to know about the scanner radio hobby. Catch you all again next Tuesday, 73.